And it is a joy uh, to get to worship together today. And if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. As uh, Pastor Mike kind of set us up and we began reading from earlier today during our call to prayer. And this is a continuation of last week. So I just want to encourage you, uh, if you weren't here last week, a lot of what we're going to cover today was kind of set up last week. So it would be a great kind of message to go back and grab those notes. Uh, But together, we're going to walk through these beautiful verses that we see at the end of Hebrews 4, going into Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset or full with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, and quotes from Psalm chapter 2, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Then he quotes from Psalm 110, and as he says in another place, You are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. And so last week we began reading through this passage and kind of centered around this same big truth that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is this, Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. And to really understand the fullness of what this means, we took last week and spent most of our time in the section in chapter 5 that we just read asking the question, why is the high priest significant? What is so significant about high priest that Jesus is being compared and being stated as the greater high priest because for most of us today like when you were out this week at school or at work or taking care of kids at home whatever that might be doing you probably weren't looking for a high priest throughout your week right like that's not normal language like around the water cooler like hey have you seen a high priest this week or hey who's your high priest Uh, when you go to evangelism like practice and training like they don't usually start by saying hey go up to a stranger and ask them this first question who is your high priest like that that's not a common question for us this isn't a common idea for us and so we if we're going to understand the fullness of what's happening here in Hebrews 4 and 5 and really a theme that has begun in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and will chase throughout the rest of the book this theme of high priest we have to ask the question well why is the high priest so significant and so last week we began walking through that question and so today we get to kind of chase that a little further and say, okay, if the high priest is significant, how is Jesus the better high priest? How is he greater 
than Aaron and every high priest that would come after. Like, what is the significance of that? What does that mean for us today in East Tennessee in 2023? What does this have to do with you and me and in our lives? And so the way kind of set it up last week and just want to bring us back to today is as we're reading through these passages in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 said there's really two words that kind of help describe it for us. One of those words is wait and the other one is wonder. Wait and wonder. And as we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see these two realities play out again. Weight of our sin, our need for God. The wonder of what God has done to meet us and pursue us and to love us and to save us. That as we were going through chapter 3 and chapter 4, we were reminded of weight. Don't harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as the people did in the rebellion. It's a warning to us that our hearts are prone to be hardened. In chapter 2, we were warned that our hearts are prone to drift. And in chapter 4, it talks about how we must strive to enter the rest or we will fall by disobedience. That's weight that's heavy. We saw in chapter 4 how the Word of God, written and incarnate, exposes us, opens our hearts, our minds, it sees the intentions of who we are down to the soul, that everyone is laid bare before the Word of God. And everyone is going to be held accountable. There's a judgment, an accounting that's coming. It's weight. If we're prone to drift, if we are prone to harden our hearts, if we are prone to disobedience, if God's word shows who we really are, every thought, every desire, every intent, and we are going to be held accountable for that, what hope do we have? Wait. But this morning, in the time that we have together, we see this transition from the weight, the heaviness that we should be feeling as we're walking through this passage to the wonder that we have a great high priest. And so what I want to do is just really walk through the three verses that we went through during our call to prayer, verses 14, 15, and 16, and show the wonder of our great high priest, what God has done. So the question for this morning is this, how is Jesus the great, the better high priest? Several big ideas that we're just going to take a few minutes to unpack and then respond to together. The first one is this. Our high priest is the Son of God. Our high priest is the Son of God. Look at verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Why is our high priest unique? Why is our high priest greater? Why is our high priest better? Because he is the Son of God. And the author says several things about him that I just want to highlight very quickly. First, he says he is great, meaning superior. He is above all other high priests. Not just any high priest. He's not just a good one or a better one or one kind of like Aaron. No, he is the great one, the one who is greater. But not only is he greater, secondly, he is the one who has passed through the heavens. And if you underline or highlight in your Bible, I encourage you to circle those words or underline them. Pass through the heavens. What's he talking about? 
We talked about this last week. One of the roles of the high priest was the high priest was the only human being that could go into God's presence. That on the day of atonement, one day of a year, for a very short period of time, the high priest would pass through the sanctuary, through the different layers, into the Holy of Holies where he would be in God's presence. And in God's presence he would represent the people to God and God to the people and mediate on behalf of their sin. And then he would leave the presence of God. But look at what the author says this morning. Our high priest doesn't just pass through the tabernacle. What does he do? He passes through the heavens. He is Jesus who died but rose again and he ascended. He went into the heavens and where is he now? He is in the presence of God the Father. He's not a high priest who goes in once a year and comes out. He is the great high priest who passed through the heavens and is now seated with God the Father. Fully present with God, entering into his presence permanently. And so we don't have a high priest who comes in and comes out. We have a high priest who is in God's presence because he is the Son of God. So he is great. He passed through the heavens. Third, he has a name above all. What is that name? It says it is Jesus. Remember what the angel said to Joseph. And you will name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He's not a high priest with just any name. He is a high priest with the name that can save. And then fourth, he's not just Jesus, but he is Jesus, Son of God. He is able to stand in the gap between God and man because he is fully God. This is so important for us in trying to understand the beauty of this gospel that we hold out and we proclaim together. The only solution for a people who have offended and sinned and broken against a holy, holy God, the only one who can absolve that debt against an infinite God is God. So Jesus, being fully God, passes through the heavens to God's presence, the true and better high priest, the only one capable of standing on behalf of broken, sinful men before holy, righteous God, is God, and that is exactly what has happened. Our high priest this morning, friends, is the Son of God. That's good news. He is better than Aaron. He is better than any priest who's come before. But that leads to a question. How can one who is divine, the Son of God, adequately represent humans? How can one who is divine represent humanity before God? The answer is this, by becoming fully man, which leads to our second big idea this morning. Our high priest understands our weakness and temptation. Friends, this is massive. Our high priest is not just Jesus, the Son of God. He is Jesus, the true, full man. In John 1, it says that the Word became flesh, put on humanity, became one of us. And He tabernacled among us. He made His dwelling, His life among us. It's not just 
God or an angel coming and being on the planet. It's God becoming a human just like us, just like you and me. He is the great high priest, not just because he's the son of God, but because he is also the son of man. And by becoming a son of man like you and like me, he experienced our weakness. He experiences the same temptations that we do. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or to understand our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Friend, whether you've grown up in church your whole life, or whether this is your first time to hear the good news of the gospel, Jesus knows your life. Not just not that he knows about you, Jesus understands the burdens you bear. Jesus understands the struggles that you face. How? Why? Because he became like us. Three things are really important to see here. First, he experienced our weakness. He took on our weaknesses. Jesus was limited physically, emotionally, psychologically, just like we are. And you see that throughout the stories of the gospel. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul, talking about Jesus, said, Although fully God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. He understands our weakness. But not only does he understand our weakness, secondly, he understands our temptation. It says he was tempted as we are. So let me give you some examples. These are things that happened to Jesus. You can go back and read these in the Gospels. He suffered. He experienced loss. He was poor. He knew poverty. He experienced rejection by the religious leaders, by his friends, his countrymen, his family. He experienced ridicule by his countrymen, by the religious leaders, by his family. He experienced betrayal. Anyone ever have a friend stab you in the back? Jesus did. Have you ever been abandoned? The 11 men who swore to give their life to him ran and fled in his moment of greatest need. His father on the cross turned his back on the son. And even to the most extreme sense, he experienced torture. Physically, emotionally, psychologically on the cross. He understands suffering. He understands weakness. He understands temptation that we do because he walked through it. And not just in a limited sense, but in an unlimited sense. And there's examples of this. I'll highlight two. One is his temptation in the wilderness. You can go back and read from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. After 40 days without food. In the wilderness. Where another example is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety and the weight and the pressure of that moment cries out to the Father and says, if there is another way but not my will that yours be done. Friend, I don't know what weight you're bearing today. I don't know what suffering you're going through today. I don't know what is weighing you down mentally or emotionally today, but Jesus understands. 
He is a high priest who has walked through our weakness, walked through our temptation, who has suffered. And the third thing that's so important to see here is his temptation was in every way. Again, if you circle or highlight in your Bible, verse 15, it's not just that he has been tempted, but who in every respect, every respect, every way that we have been tempted, he has been tempted. It wasn't lesser in substance or severity. Jesus has experienced fully and completely the hardships that we face and beyond. Friends, Jesus became like us in his humanity. That is why he is a faithful high priest. That is why he's a better high priest because he is not just Jesus, the Son of God, He is the Son of Man. He is the weak and tempted one. So He becomes like us in His humanity, but this is also important. However, He is unlike us in His obedience, which leads to a third big idea. Our high priest is without sin. See, He is the Son of God. He is the weak and tempted one. But it is so important to see this. Our priest is the one who is the sinless one. Again, look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Pause. Yet without sin. Amen? Think about the struggles you've been through. Think about the hardships you've been through. Think about the temptations you face. And if you're anything like me, you have failed again and again and again to doubt God's goodness, to trust His care and kindness, to walk in obedience, to give in to sin and temptation instead of run from it. But Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. Jesus didn't fall like we have failed. He is the one who is sinless. Jesus is the sinless one, but not only is He the sinless one, Jesus is the perfect provision. See, the high priest could offer sacrifices for sin, but we talked about this last week. The high priest had to offer sacrifices for his own sin before he could offer for the people because he was a sinner. And so all of those sacrifices, year after year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation of lambs and goats and doves and blood being shed again and again and again and again on behalf of the high priest and on behalf of the high on the people, sorry, the people, that they could never atone for their sins. But Jesus, as fully God, tempted and tried, weak man, lived perfectly and sinlessly so he becomes the perfect provision in your place and in my place. The high priest could offer sacrifices for sin but they were never enough. Jesus, and we said this last week, because of his sinlessness is both the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. All in one. Hallelujah. What a savior. But Jesus is not just the perfect provision because he is without sin. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is God's love for you and for me and for the world on glorious display. 
See, his sinless sacrifice proves God's love for you and for me. Even this past week, I was just online on social media and saw somebody post to care about, and they were just talking about, and there's kind of this view of God just kind of being a grumpy tyrant, an abusive father. And I was just reading through this, my heart was breaking for this person because it's in my mind I'm realizing, you don't know my God. You don't know the Father. Because the Father looks at rebel sinners like you and me. And He sends His sinless Son, the greatest sacrifice for you and for me. Oh, what love. Romans 5, it says that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still rebels, while we were still running from Him, He sent His Son to die for us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You see, God is holy, which means He is without sin, He is without fault, He is without flaw. He is righteous, so everything He does is right. Nothing can be sinful or wrong. And because God is holy and God is righteous, He is also just, meaning He must punish sin. He must punish injustice. We live in a culture today that wants to have a God who's unjust, who looks past sin because He's loving. But we know to be truly loving means you have to be just. And so we are in this problem, God who is holy and He is loving and He is just, and we are unholy and we are wicked and we are broken and we have rejected and rebelled against Him. What are we going to do? We can't do anything. So God steps in and pours the punishment for sin, not out on the ones who deserve it, but on His Son. The sinless sacrifice. And Jesus doesn't do this unwillingly, He does this willingly. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said, but I lay it down. And in that moment, as the hymn writer Newton once said, when grace, our trust in Christ is, justice smiles and asks no more. Because of the cross, justice asks no more of you or of me. It has been met in Jesus Christ. John MacArthur, pastor, says it this way, By Christ's sacrifice, God's throne of judgment has now been turned into a throne of grace. That is good news for us this morning. So why is Jesus the better high priest? Because he is the Son of God. But not only is he the Son of God, he is the one who has experienced weakness and temptation. But not only has he experienced weakness and temptation, he is the sinless one. So that leads to a question for us this morning as a church. How do we respond? How do we respond to this good news? How do we respond to this great high priest? Let me give you two responses for us this morning that I pray become a part of your life and my life that we see here in this text. First is this big idea. Jesus' followers hold fast their confession. How do we respond? Jesus' followers hold fast their confession. Look at verse 14 again. Since then, this is a since then statement, because of what's about to be said, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, what are we to do? Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast 
our confession. How do we respond? We hold fast our confession. What is our confession this morning? This is our confession. Jesus alone is our hope. Let me say that again. Jesus alone is our hope. Alone. Our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our confession, the good news of the gospel this morning, is that Jesus alone is our hope. He is the one we look to. He is the one we live for. He is the one that we trust in. We don't look to our job, our career, our family. We don't look to politics or the culture. Jesus alone is our hope. And what are we called to do with this confession? We are called to hold fast, which means to cling to, to tie yourself to. It's a picture of a boat with an anchor being tied to, tied to a stable post. We anchor ourselves to this confession. We anchor and secure our lives to this truth. We hold fast our confession. Well, what does that look like practically? In normal, everyday life, when you go back to work tomorrow, what does it look like to hold fast to your confession? I think there's two really important ways. One is through your words. Another is through your works. We hold fast our confession through our words, meaning our witness. We speak the truth of Jesus. Friends, this is what it means practically. is Jesus is your hope, you're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him with our family. We're going to talk about him with our coworkers. We're going to talk about him with our classmates. Why? Because he is the hope of our lives alone. So one way we hold fast our confession is we proclaim, we speak, we tell the good news of the gospel. When someone asks you how your day is going, you use that as an opportunity to talk about Jesus, his goodness, his kindness steadfastness, even in the craziness of life. And you don't have to be weird about it. We don't have to be awkward Christians. We can be normal people. But we anchor, we speak the truth of our hope. So we hold fast our confession through our words. But secondly, we hold fast our confession through our works. What are our works? That means this, obedience. Another way we hold fast our confession is by walking in obedience to God's word. To being a people who are doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving ourselves. To live out of obedience and to push into and press into and follow God and walk in obedience through his word. We want to be that kind of people that shows our confession. When people see us walking in obedience to scripture, it's going to stand out. It's going to look different. It's not going to be like the world around us. So we hold fast our confession a second response this morning is this. Jesus' followers draw near with confidence. So we hold fast our confession. That's one response. Response number two. Draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence. What is our confidence this morning? This is our confidence. Jesus alone is our help. Let me say it again. Jesus alone is our help. What is our confession? Jesus alone is our hope. What is our confidence? Jesus alone is our help. Man, that's good news this morning. We have hope in Christ, but also we have help in Christ. Anyone this morning in need of help? 
Anyone this morning overwhelmed at what's happening in your lives and you're in need of help? Help is here and His name is Jesus. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not in our competency or our ability or our charisma or our bank account, our assets. Our confidence is in the one who is our high priest. Why do we have confidence? This is so important. We have confidence, one, because our high priest has passed through the heavens and is seated with God in his presence. We have an advocate before the Father. Then second, we have confidence because our high priest understands our temptation, our weakness, our struggle. So you can come confidently before God, in awe, humbly, but boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because our high priest is seated before us and he understands our weakness. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is good news. We have confidence. Confidence to do what? To draw near. To draw near. Friends, when we talk about being a church that abides in Christ, we're not talking about a bunch of rules or regulations that we're called to follow. This is so important. And this will change your time in the Word. Abiding in Jesus is a gift. To come before the throne of grace, to pray and be heard, to read God's word and God to speak through us, that is all because we can draw near, all because of what Christ has done. And so we abide, we trust, because Jesus has made a way for us not only to hold fast our confession, but to draw near in confidence. So here's our response this morning in closing, and I'll invite the team to come up. Here's the response. Here's my question for you this morning, church family. Two questions. Today, is Jesus your only hope? And question number two. Today, is Jesus your only help? Is he your hope in life and death? Is he your help in this present moment? Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for these beautiful gospel realities. And now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see and believe that Jesus is our only hope. That you would help us to live like Jesus is our only hope. That you would help us to live and believe that Jesus is our only help. And that we would draw near, that we would run to you even this morning. Holy Spirit, please help us today to hear your voice and not harden our hearts. And just pray for my friends, whatever they're walking through today, I pray that even right now, you would become their hope and their help. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.